You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. Our series through Acts. We were looking at that. We got about halfway through and God really spoke to my heart to change directions for a little bit. And he used the text that we were in to do that transition. So we looked at Acts chapter 13 and how we saw that even though the Jews were in church and synagogue every week reading the text, they missed what was happening in the very text that they were reading. They missed the presence of Christ. And I was talking how so often we can attend church or we can do our religious studies or our searching the world for every kind of answer, trying to find what satisfies, trying to find more. And all the while we can miss that's very simple. Jesus said in Matthew that I thank you, God, that you haven't revealed things to the wise, but to the children. You've revealed the secrets to children. And we want to look at this new series, how God is doing something that sometimes we so overlook because we complicate it. We make it harder than it has to be. You guys understand what I'm saying? So that's where we're at this week, and we're going to be looking at this for the next few weeks. What are you searching for? And we can begin to look at some very basic topics in our faith and what God wants to do in us and realize it's much more easy and sometimes we've been missing the point. So we're looking, we're looking at something that's simple. That's, that's our goal. So can, can we try to relax these next few weeks? I don't know what this is going to look like. I have an idea. I'm, I always want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to relax and try to not make the gospel too difficult. Does that make sense? So that's where we're at. Let me ask this question. Who's ever had a crush on somebody? That should be most of you, unless you're just not human. You're like a cyborg. You're like, I have no heart. You know, you're going to see the wizard for a new heart. That's, you guys remember your first crush? Anybody remember it? Man, whew, that was difficult, right? That was a hard time. First crush, when you crush on somebody, when you, when you have like this feeling, everything, you overthink everything, right? Um, silly things that really should mean absolutely nothing that that person does mean the world to you. Like, they looked at me in the middle of class. They must love me. I, I literally, I went to a Christian school and the worship leader was, you know, leading worship. And there was a girl in our, in our school who was head over heels for this guy, right? And I remember hearing her say, in the middle of worship, he opened his eyes and saw me and looked at me. I knew we must, were meant to be. Later on, I'm talking to him. He's like, what? He's like, I opened my eyes and she's staring at me. It weirded me out a little bit. Like, stop reading into things. Who remembers the, uh, maybe this is just in my school. I don't know if it was across the board or not. But you got a soda can and you got the tab and you like flip it until it comes off. So A, B, C, D, E, F. You guys know what I'm talking about? Just, okay, a few of you. And then you get to the letter and that's the person that you're going to marry with. Somebody with the letter K. I'm looking for somebody named K. Like, it didn't work for me and Ashley. I didn't have that hard of a grip. A, nope. <laughs> Kept going. Z, I don't know anybody with a Z. Like, like we overthink, think, overthink things sometimes. Like, crushes can really be weird for somebody. You guys know this little, like, you write down the name and you got the little thing here. Like, you got to find out what house you'll live in. You guys know what I'm talking about. Well, this is old school, flashback, right? You're like, oh, flipped open the pen. They hate you. Oh. You know, you got, it's, like, it's the classic flower pull he loves me he loves me not he loves like this is we overthink things when we're in love everything is a big deal and this morning if if we can look at one thing this morning i want you to see how much god feels the same way for you god is absolutely head over heels for you he is crushing on you hard this morning 
He is not just this morning, but from all of eternity, God's felt that way. And I, I said earlier, we do embarrassing things when we're in love, crushing on people. Can, do you guys want me to do something embarrassing again today? You guys remember this? <laughs> Some of you are laughing. This is a book that I started writing in, poetry, when I was in uh, middle school and high school, developing crushes. You guys want to hear one or not really? I'll skip it because we, all right, all right, we'll go with one. I'm talking about the feeling of crushing, right? This one's called Clarify, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> what tomorrow holds is a story untold, but a thing I know is that I hope it holds you. Go ahead. That's, that's, that's deep, right? <laughs> I've come so close and yet remain so far from this thing I love, a love I hope is true. Inconsistent gestures and sometimes flirting eyes are not enough to tell my mind what I should do. Clarify your statements and I'll clarify my love. Call me in and tell me what you want. Because love should not be a guessing game. That's the end of that one. I'll do one more. One more. I'm, I'm already vulnerable and open, and I'm just giving you tons of junk against me right here. Come on. I was like 15 at the time, so this doesn't even count anymore. This one's called Storybook Lies, all right? My world, my air, your face so fair. Helps me to breathe and yet takes my breath away. Sweet perfume and big blue skies, Mother Goose and Cupid's lies. For me right now, it's all a fairy tale. And yet you have no clue of what you do. You spin my world around, around it goes. So come with me on this ride. We might open up each other's eyes to this storybook romance. That's the end. It doesn't quite end with the rhyme. It ends. So when you're like, when you got crushes, you just do ridiculous things and say ridiculous things. My world, my air, your face so fair. What is that? Like, come on. I've become way too cynical of myself to write poetry now. Whenever you're teen and nobody sees it, it's like, oh, this is great. Oh, this is golden Shakespeare right here. <laughs> this morning, I want you to see that God is crushing on you. He has written poetry from the beginning of time for you. And too often, we, over, we over-mystify, we overdo God to where we can't see how much he really loves us and what that looks like. We think about the wrath of God, we think about all the law, we think about all these other things, and we miss how deeply infatuated he is with us. Turn with me, and this is going to be something strange if you want to look at the love of God. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Everybody's thinking, Jonah, what does this have to do with God's love for us? Jonah chapter 3. Um, Jonah, let me recap what's happened in the first two chapters, if you don't know. And most of us have only heard the first two chapters of Jonah's story. Everybody thinks Jonah and a big whale or a fish, because we don't know if it was a whale. It doesn't say whale, but it might be a big fish or a whale. It might have been a big tuna. Who knows? But he's in the belly of this fish. We all know that story. Why is he there? Because God told him to go speak to Nineveh. They're in rebellion and speak against them. And he doesn't want to go to Nineveh because Nineveh is so, so bad of a place. So he goes the opposite way, gets in a boat, storm happens, and they throw him out of the boat because they know that the God is mad at him. So he goes into the water, gets swallowed by a fish. He's in there for three days. He prays to God, repents to God. God the fish spits him out on land. That's the story that we've all grown up with. That's the epic part to what we see. We can only, we're hung up on the big fish thing. We, we're just, like, a guy was inside of a fish, and we get stuck there. Let's pick up after that, because I think that's the beauty of the story of Jonah, is after that. Jonah chapter 3. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah for the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, robed, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published, and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, let, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they had turned from their evil ways, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and he sat at the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat in it in the shade until he he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and he made it come up over Jonah, that he might have shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die, and he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at at night and it perished in in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, a great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? What happens here? This, this to me, is the epic part of Noah or of Jonah. We have Jonah who goes to the well. He's whale, whale and he's running from God, and, and this whole thing here. And he goes into the city, and it's a huge city, about three days to get across the city. If you're going to travel from one side to the other, it's three days to walk. And he goes halfway, a day's journey, and he begins to say, God's going to destroy you, because God said he's going to destroy you. And they repent. And God has pity on them. And he does not destroy them. He loves them. When Jonah finds this out, he's angry. He's like, you should just kill me now, God. Because I knew that you were going to be loving to Nineveh. That's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because you would love them and, and forgive them. So just kill me now. I'm going to sit here on this hill and watch you kill them or do something and be angry about it. 
So God makes a, a, a tree grow up to give him shade, and then God kills that tree. And, and he's ha- Jonah has pity in his heart for the tree that he didn't create. He's frustrated about this tree dying, and God reveals to him, you're frustrated about a tree. What about the 120,000 people who live in that city and all their cattle? You don't, you don't have sympathy for that. What I want you to see in the story of Jonah is we get so hung up on, on this man and a fish that we miss this major part where God has showed love and mercy to a massive city. God completely forgave them in an instant. And the funny thing is Jonah knew that's the character of God. He knew going to proclaim death and judgment and destruction that the character of God is forgiveness. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. He knew that's who his God is. And he was frustrated that it didn't happen. He showed, I want you you to see this also. He showed love and mercy, not just to the city of Nineveh, but he showed it to Jonah. He could have killed him. Twice, Jonah said, I want to die because you're too loving and you've forgiven them. I'm, I'm just angry. What a little brat. Let's be honest. Jonah is a little brat here. God could have killed him. Instead, he's like, no, I'm going I'm to show him a lesson. I'm going I'm to teach him something. I'm going to teach him something about his heart here instead. This is who our God is. Even the Old Testament God. Okay, so often we think, well, God was one way in the Old Testament Doom, gloom, lightning, swords, that's, that's God, Old Testament. And then Jesus, hippie, just walking, breaking loaves and feeding with fish and loving everybody. Blessed, blessed, blessed are everybody. There's not a difference. There's the same God throughout all of eternity who's wanted constantly to demonstrate not just his might, not just his power, but his eternal love that he is crushing on us. He is crushing on humanity from the beginning of time. He has desired to show us love. Somebody should say amen, because that's pretty exciting. Like, it excites me. Man. But yet, so often, we have this higher desire for punishment than our own creator does. That's what we see in Jonah. He wanted punishment. He wanted things paid for. And our, and our creator sat in heaven, saw their repentance, and said, hey, I'd rather love them. I want to love them. I want to forgive them. I want to be merciful. So often we do this, though. We want to hold back love. We want to hold back mercy. And we do it in our own hearts to ourselves all the time as well. That we forget that God loves us and has forgotten about the sin of yesterday. That he's forgotten about the thoughts that you had this morning. He's forgotten about how dirty you are on on your average day. Because he is so full of love. He doesn't have the same desire to punish that you do. Yourself or somebody else. Why? The question we have to ask is why? Why is the God of the universe who's holy and loving not desire to punish but to completely love and forgive? First thing we have to see is that God is so powerful, so in control, and so amazing that he is completely satisfied in himself. God is not lacking anything. He doesn't need you to be the best person ever so that he feels really good about himself. Does that make sense? God does not need that. He is completely satisfied in who he is. He delights in himself. He is perfect. And he desires for you to have the ultimate joy because he is complete love. He is complete perfection. He desires that you experience him. Because he is love, he desires that you see him. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? 
He desires that. God is completely satisfied in himself. He does not need to kill you or to lift you up to feel better about himself. He is himself, but he desires that you experience what he experiences. Make sense? He is completely satisfied. God is not on plan B. So often we think through the cross that that was plan B. Eden was plan A, cross was plan B. Somehow we messed everything up, and somehow through life we're constantly messing up God's plan. Well, I sinned yesterday, and so God's angry. No, he knew exactly what you were going to do. God is sovereign. From the beginning of time, he predestined even the cross. It's in Scripture that he predestined not just Pharaoh's heart toward the Israelites in Egypt, but also Pilate's heart in Jerusalem against Jesus. Anytime there's been brokenness and disaster or hurt or pain, God somehow saw the bigger picture and wanted to reveal his heart of love to you even when we think he's on plan B. He's not. He's still on plan A. God is completely in control, completely satisfied, completely knows when you're going to mess up and when you're not going to mess up, when you're going to serve him, when you're going to love him, and when you're going to slander him and accuse him and curse him. God has already known. He doesn't need you to follow his plan. He already knows. He's sovereign, and he's in control, and he's satisfied. His plans have not been foiled. We can't throw off his plans. God is completely in control. He's not angry. If, you, if your plans cannot be disrupted, why would you be angry? We don't have this angry God who just wants to fix everything so that he can feel better about himself. You have to get that in your heart first. God is love. We, have, we see that in Scripture. God is love. And he desires to share his love and the glory with us. He wants you to see how amazing he is. That sounds, in, in our context, if I do that and I say, hey, uh, John, I want you to see how amazing I am. That's really narcissistic, right? Because the truth is there's something better than me. There is God. He is everything. And so when I want somebody to see how awesome I am, it's pointing to something false. When God says, I want you to see how amazing I am, there is no one better. So it's pointing to something that's reality. So for him to withhold, his glory is to not love us, to not show enough goodness to us. It'd be to point to something that's not good enough. He is everything, and he wants you to experience that. He's not withholding anything from you. Amen. Jonathan Edwards said this, It is no argument of the emptiness or deficiency of a fountain that it is inclined to overflow. What he's saying is it's not because a fountain is so lacking and doesn't have water that it starts to overflow. Parallel. God is not lacking in love so that he gives you love so that he gets more love. It's not because he's lacking in anything that he shows himself. It's because he's so overflowing with holiness and with love and with beauty that he pours that out on you. He's not lacking anything. It's only because the fountain's full of water that it can give water. It's only because God is so, in, so full of love that he can demonstrate love. It's all that comes out of it. John Piper said all his works are simply the spillover of his infinite exuberance of his own existence. That, I know there's some big words in there. <laughs> he says everything that God does, his love, is a spillover of how amazing he is. This morning we're talking about bringing it back to the basics. And the basics that we have to understand this morning is God 
is nothing but love for you. God has nothing but love for us, and he wants you to experience it. He wants you to see it with clear eyes. He wants you to live in his love, not live in religion, not live in trying to appease the law, not live in trying to understand the mysteries of the universe or, or whatever. He wants you to find your ultimate delight in him. God's not angry. I want you to hear this this morning. God is not angry. He's not ticked off. He's not confused. He's not disappointed in you. I think somebody needs to hear that this morning. God is not disappointed in you. He's not sitting in heaven thinking, man, I wish they would not have done that. Man, it really messed it up. Man, it really hurts me. God's not disappointed in you. He already knew. He's already there. God's not frustrated. He's not ready to strike you with lightning. He's not running out of forgiveness, and he's not running out of love for you. I want you to recognize something. That God was the first person, not person, God was the first to ever love you. And he will be the last to ever love you. So often we think of the first person to love us was our mom or dad who held us or the girlfriend or the boyfriend that we were crushing on or, or the wife or the husband that we had or the friend at work or, or whatever. And then that, you know, we, we all love that Nicholas Sparks movie or something. Well, it's one of those, I'm sure. You know, we're old and we die together and we're holding each other and they're the last one to love me. No, no. Even if you're with your spouse and it's romance until you're 103 and you die together and they're still not the last one to love you. God has always been the first to love you and the last to love you. Regardless of your religious status, regardless of your marital status, regardless of your job, your occupation, God does not love me because I'm a full-time pastor any more than he loves you who's a full-time student. It has nothing to do with my mom, has nothing to do with my achievements. It all has to do with him seeing me from the beginning of time and loving me and wanting me to experience his love. That's his plan. It's simple. From day one, it's been for you to enjoy him, to know him. John chapter 3, if we can turn there. John chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1. Now there was a man of a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, 
Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up a servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is judgment. Right here, this is judgment. The light has come to the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because the works were evil. For anyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that that it may be clearly seen that, that his works have been carried out in God. I want you to see this. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he begins to ask this question. What do I got to do? And he says we have to be born in the spirit. It's not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth that takes place in us for us to see and believe in Christ. He goes into God loved us enough. He loved the world enough that he sent his son. We believe in him and we'll have eternal life. And God, here's the part. We we love John 3.16 and we forget John 3.17. He did not come into the world to condemn it, but to love it, to show it his son. And here's what judgment is. This is what he says judgment is. That people stay in their darkness. That's judgment. They're already walking around in darkness, not able to see life, not able to see the love of God, not able to see the freedom in Christ. Judgment is for them to stay where they're currently at. God is not looking to throw lightning bolts at you, kill you, and punish you for mistakes. He's looking to let you see light, let you experience a spiritual rebirth to the love of God. That's what he's looking for the world to do. So if you've come in here today thinking that God is angry at you or that he's got some kind of rule book that you must follow, he's saying just quickly, simply see my love for you and believe in it. Receive it, and you will walk in that and not walk in darkness anymore. Not walk in shame and loneliness and brokenness and hurt and regret. He's saying, walk in my light, walk in my love. That's the beauty of the gospel this morning. That's exciting. He didn't come to condemn and throw rocks. Even in the Old Testament, he came, he sent Jonah to Nineveh, and he wanted to love them. He's quick to love them. He wanted to show mercy. He wanted them to see truth. So often, we punish ourselves more than God wants to. God God wants to show us love, and we punish ourselves. We just do. We walk around in shame and guilt and regret and, and all these things, and God's just saying, you completely forgot the cross. You completely forgot the light that I showed you, my love for you, how I've been wooing you from the beginning of time. Let me, let me give you a practical example. My daughter, I have two daughters, Faith and Haley. And you have to have kids to be a pastor and use illustrations. It's just true. So Faith and Haley, man, they're completely opposites in a lot of areas. Faith has got the softest, most sensitive heart in all the world. Like, 
She is so easily embarrassed, so easily hurt. And I love it. I love that she's got a soft heart. But so often, like there's been multiple times where I'll hear them fighting or something in another room, and I know it's faith to do what was wrong. And I want to go in and show grace and love and just see what happened and try to work through it. Like, that's my intent. And I'll go, Faith, Faith, come here. And she will, like, do one of these full-body tantrums, like, and she starts crying, and she's weeping. She runs and hides under her blankets. And I'm like, Faith, Faith, talk to me. Faith, what's the matter? Full shaking and crying and shutting doors. I had no desire to punish her. Her response was starting to change that in me a little bit. But, like, the sympathy in me is like, Faith, Faith, calm down. Like, it's fine. I just want to know what happened. Why? I'm like, you're not in timeout. And she would literally, I've had both of my kids put themselves in timeout when I said, you can come out anytime you want. And out of stubbornness or fear or something, I don't know, they shut their own door and sit in their room and cry. I'm thinking, and I'll walk downstairs and she's like, Ashley will go, what, what happened? I don't know. She's just crying in there. I told her she'd come out whenever she wants. And so it'll be an hour later, and she's still sitting in there whimpering. I'm like, Faith, you want to come out? No! I'm like, okay. (laughs) We do that with God all the time, where we throw our own temper tantrums and put ourselves in timeout, and we're afraid, and we're fearful, and we got shame, and we got guilt, and we got all this junk, and the whole time God's like, "You you can come out and play anytime you want. We can, we can hang out, you can sit on my lap, we can watch TV, we'll watch a movie, I'll let you color, whatever you want to do, because I'm so full of love, I'll let you do this if you just get out of darkness, get out of your room, and come in here with me. Don't we? We do this all the time. We have to understand, it's way more simple, life is way more simple if we just see he really, 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 really loves us. He does. It's who he is. It's his character. He did not come to condemn but to save. He sees you through the eyes of the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. If you have placed faith, if you believed in him, then he sees you as pure. He sees you as spotless. He sees you as worthy of his love. The God of the universe who is completely perfect in everything sees you as worthy of his love and affection. That's overwhelming. That gets my heart to know that God sees me as perfect and worthy of his love, worthy of his affection, worthy of... I've said this before, like, you ever, you ever meet somebody who's really important or, or has a lot of influence or maybe they're a celebrity or a musician or whatever, and, like, you go to meet them and you feel like you got, like, just, like, I don't want to take up too much time. Like, I, I don't want to, because they're important. But God of the universe wants you to have every moment of every day in his presence, to live a life in the spirit. He wants time, a lot of time. We don't give him the time that he desires, Um, speaking of authors, I met, I I got to meet an author that I really like the other week named Ted Decker. And he said this, he said, what the father believes about me defines me. What I believe about myself gives my experience in the here and the now. So who you are, regardless of what you believe has already been decided and defined by God. And who you are is pure and spotless, holy, worthy of his time, worthy of his affection. That's who you are. 
But so often we believe something else, and so our experience is drastically different. If Faith and Haley believe that they need to hide and cry and do their penance, then that's what they'll experience. But if they believe that I love them and I want to talk about that and I want to show them love and I want to forgive them, then that's what they'll experience. If you believe what God sees about you, what a joyful, fearless life you'll live. Stop making it more complicated than it is. That's, that's what we need to do this morning. That's, that's what it is. Stop making it more complicated, more difficult. God, let me tell you this, God is happy. God is very, very happy today and yesterday and every day. God's not angry. He loves you more than you know. This is the basics of where we're going over these next few weeks. If you don't, if you miss this, we're going to miss, we're going to miss it all. I want this to seep into our hearts and into our spirits. That we're alive in the spirit and what we can see, what we can live in is his love and in his presence. Come to him and live in his love. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's, it's simple that Christ paid the, the penalty for our sin on the cross so God doesn't see us as sinners anymore. He sees us as redeemed, as pure and holy. And it's simply being saved or having eternal life is simply saying, God, I believe in you and I want you to be a Lord in my life. That's all it is. So if you don't know that, that's, that's yours now. You can literally, I'm not going to make you stand up, do jumping jacks, wave your hand, come to the altar, do any kind of laying down ceremony where we anoint. It's not that. It's simply believing in our hearts. That Jesus is who he says he is and experiencing the life in him. That's all it is. And that's yours. You can take it now if you haven't experienced that. The rest of us, we've got to recognize what it is that we've already said that we believe in. We've got to recognize that he does love us and start living in that, experiencing it now. And so I ask again the question, what are you searching for? What is it that we're still trying to figure out in this rat race of life? Or are we able to recognize how much he loves us and be satisfied in that and then live in response to that? The answer this morning is childlike faith that simply receives the love of the Father. Doesn't question it, doesn't build a theology and try to decipher all the ins and outs of how does love work and blah, blah, blah. It simply says, I trust you and I know you love me. And it wants relationship. That's what it is this morning. Amen.